following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, this morning we'll be looking in Matthew chapter 21. If you want to turn your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 21, and we will read verses 23 through 32. Matthew 21, 23 to 32. And when Jesus and, uh, and when he, that is Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, Hmm, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Uh, I've titled this message, uh, Who's in Charge? Uh, And it's kind of the main question of this passage. Who's in charge? Who has authority over uh, the temple, over uh, really the lives of the, the chief priests and the elders, and over all of Israel and all people? Uh, And it's a very important question, and we get asked that question of us. Who's in charge of my life? Who's in charge of your life? And and there's really, in the end, just two two answers to that question. Either I'm in charge of my own life, or God is in charge of my life. And of course, um, if we're Christians, if we come to church, if we read the Bible, if we claim to be followers of Christ, then we know the right answer is, well, of course, Jesus is in charge of my life, of course. And so we feel pretty confident that, yeah, Jesus is in charge of my life because somehow I know being in charge of my own life is the wrong answer, right? Uh, but, but how do we really know that that's true? And I'm sure as we'll unpack with these, uh, these leaders of Israel, I'm sure they were pretty convinced that God was in charge of their life. After all, they were chief priests. It's pretty religious, right? Um, But clearly, as we will see, uh, I don't think God is in charge of their life. So who's in charge of our life, and how can we put it to the test? Um, Is it enough simply to say yes to Jesus? 
Or is there more to it for Jesus to truly be in charge? Uh, and, and what are the ultimate consequences if he is not? Uh, so let's look at this uh, passage. And uh, uh, these leaders come, and uh, they are the leaders. They, they are the designated um, people in charge of specifically the temple, uh, but also really leaders over Israel and, and perhaps um, uh, at least over people in Jerusalem. And they would see themselves as some kind of leadership role over, uh, over all the people of Israel. And they, they felt they were in charge. And so uh, in the passages leading up to this, we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, on this week of his passion, the week leading up to his death on the cross. And Jesus comes in in a very bold way, in a very public way, and in a way that really claims authority as the Messiah. And the first thing that happens is we saw he rides into the city on a donkey, coming as a king, right? Not just coming as a, as a teacher or as a, as a rabbi, but coming really as a king. And of course, kings have authority, right? They have the right to rule. And Jesus does uh, intentionally presents himself as the one who's the Messiah, the king, who's got the right to rule over the city, actually. Uh, so he comes in this kingly fashion. Then uh, he, the, the next day he goes into the temple and he chases out all of the uh, merchants and money changers. Uh, and again, uh, really taking charge of what's going on in the temple. And uh, he takes it upon himself to basically reorganize the, the structure of what's going on in the temple. Right? Uh, he does it with authority as one who's in charge. And then finally, uh, both in his entry into the city and, and uh, while he's in the temple, people keep praising him. Hosanna to the one who came in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the son of David, the Messiah. And uh, earlier, the, the, the priest actually said to Jesus, are you going to allow this to happen? Because they recognized that this praise was coming from uh, the Psalms, and it was praise that was devoted to God himself. So by praising Jesus, they're really acknowledging uh, something of Jesus' position as one who is equal with God, uh, which um, was crossing a line, right? It's, it's taking a place of authority uh, at the highest level. right? So no wonder they were threatened by Jesus and by his authority. And, and certainly they had the right to, to check it out and to find out where his authority came from. Uh, because really, they were the ones in charge. So who's this person coming, trying to usurp or take their authority? Important question, and certainly one that would be fair for them to get an answer. And so it says in verse 23, When he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Um, so Jesus is teaching this very public confrontation. There's probably a very large crowd gathered as Jesus is teaching, and there's this confrontation that takes place as they confront Jesus in front of this crowd. And, uh, and they ask this, this question, by what authority are you doing this? By what authority are you claiming to be in charge of the temple and to tell people what to do? By what authority are you uh, taking this on yourself? And really there's just a couple possible answers. And they knew the possible answers. One would be that, well, Jesus just took it on himself. He just decided he, he wanted to be king, and, and he just did. Or uh, it was uh, from, from, from the institution, right? So somebody in the temple authority or structure appointed him. 
But of course, they were the ones who would have done that, right? They were the ones who were in charge, so they knew it wasn't them. So the only other option left is that either Jesus did it himself or it's from God, right? It's from God, that God gave Jesus this authority. Um, uh, now, it's, it's likely that they're hoping he says it's from God because they probably want to trap him. They want to trip Jesus up and trick him because they really don't want him to be in charge. And what's important to see in this passage is that if they were asking honest questions, like if they were really genuinely wanting to know, Jesus, you know, if God has given you this authority, we want to acknowledge you as the Messiah, and we want to follow you, we want to bow down before you, and we too want to become your followers. Right? Uh, but, but we know that that's actually not what they wanted. Right? Uh, they were in charge, and as we'll see in a minute, they don't want to share that authority with anyone, even if it comes from God, right? Because they are in charge. So they're really hoping here, not, they're not asking an honest question, they're not really trying to find the answer. Uh, really what they are doing is trying to test Jesus, to trip him up, so they can get something on him to discredit him, or ultimately to, uh, to take his life, which they do uh, in just a few short days. Um, uh, and this is just a great picture and an important picture for us to understand of uh, the very core of human nature, right? The very basic core of human nature for all human beings. And the Pharisees and the chief priests and these leaders uh, represent something that's true of every single human being, and that is that we want to be in charge, And we do not want to give that control over to anyone else, not even God, right? That's that's at the core of who we are. Uh, Ever since Adam and Eve took charge of their own life in the garden and rejected God's commands, rejected God's leadership over their life, uh, they took charge and they wanted to be God over their own life. They did not want to follow uh, and come under God's rule. And ever since then, we as the offspring and descendants of Adam and Eve have followed in their footsteps. We are fiercely determined to be in charge of our own lives. Um, and, and Paul talks about this in Romans uh, chapter 8. And he uses these words. He talks about uh, this being what's really it, what it means to be in the flesh. So in the flesh, in, in the core of our fleshly nature is a stubborn independence that doesn't want anybody to rule over us. And he says it this way in Romans uh, 5, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? And, and, and Paul's argument, uh, if we read the whole thing, is that in Romans is that all of us are born with this flesh. All of us are born with this willful rejection of God's rule over us. We want to be in charge of our own life, and we do not want to share that control with anyone. And of course, you see this come out pretty early. It doesn't take long for us to see this in the life of a two- or three-year-old. When you tell them what to do, and and they say, Oh, yes, Mommy, I would love to do what you say, right? Is that what they say? Or do they say, No, no. Like, honestly, some kids learn that word before they learn the word Mom or Dad, right? No, right? Don't tell me. What to do, right? It is, it is deeply rooted in who we are as human beings. We want to be in charge. And so when they ask this question, 
Where does Jesus' authority come from? Is it from men? Well, they know it's not because they didn't appoint him. Or is it from God? Um, Do they really want to know the answer? Well, they really don't want to know the true answer, right? They don't really want to know because it doesn't matter to them, right? Why does it matter to them? It really doesn't matter because they've already made up their minds that, that they're not receiving anybody else's rule. They are going to be in charge. And, and if, if Jesus is going to threaten their authority, they are going to deal with him. Right? They will use every means in their power to get rid of Jesus. Right? Uh, they don't want to recognize Jesus as Messiah. Right? Uh, they don't want to consider this even as an option. Um, so they're trying to trap him. Uh, they're trying to get rid of him. And so Jesus knows this, and Jesus is, is, I love his wisdom and his insight that he shows here. Um, and, and Jesus, like, you're never going to win an argument with Jesus, okay? Like, they should have, they should know this, right? Uh, you're never going to outsmart Jesus. You're going to never, you're, you're never going to trap him. And I love it because he gives them um, an answer uh, that actually traps them in their own snare, right? Uh, so this is what he says. He says to them, so I answered them. I'll ask you one question. You ask me two. I'm just going to ask you one. Like this is a, a bargain deal, right? And and you tell me the answer, and I will gladly tell you by what authority I do these things. Now this is brilliant, and this was actually a very common debate format among rabbinic, rabbinic Jews. Like Jesus is not trying something here that never been done before. It was kind of a, a way they would banter back and forth and argue a point. And so they're up for this, and, and they think they're smart, and they think, well, you know, Jesus can't, can't trap us because we're too smart for him, right? Uh, so, uh, so, so here's the question. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Uh, was it from heaven or from man? In other words, this is also a question of authority. Jesus is essentially saying, uh, what was John's authority? Like, where did his authority come from? Was it from man or was it from God? Right? You tell me, and then I'll tell you my answer. And it's interesting that of all the things Jesus talked about John's ministry, that he picked baptism. And it's very likely he picked baptism because this is the thing that probably rubbed the leaders most the wrong way. And the reason for that is that baptism is, was typically something that a non-Jew would do if they wanted to come in and become Jewish. There were some things that they had to go through, and of course they had to agree to follow the laws. They would have had to, if they were a male, agree to circumcision. And they would have been baptized as a way of showing that they were coming into Judaism. And so John's baptism was something that rubbed them, because they're like, we're already Jews. We don't need saving. We don't need fixing, right? We're already in. So why should we be baptized? But on top of that, we know that John's baptism, and Jesus doesn't use these words here, but we know, and Matthew's already talked about it, that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, John's baptism was what? It was a baptism of repentance, right? A baptism of repentance. Uh, and repentance is, is, is simply this. It's recognizing the truth that we have stubbornly set our face in the wrong direction away from God. Right? Bad, uh, repentance requires admitting God, I have rejected your rule over my life. I don't want you to be in charge of my life. And I'm, in fact, headed 
the opposite of direction of wherever you say to go. Like if you tell me to go north, I'm going south. Right? But, but coming to a point where we realize that that's sin. Where we realize that that's rebellion against our creator and maker. And, and we, we repent, we change direction, and we turn back toward God, uh, and we turn away from our sin and our rebellion. And we choose to allow God to rule over our life. We choose to allow God to have control, uh, to be the authority over our life. That's what's involved in repentance. Um, and and the, 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 the Jewish leaders uh, we know from early on in the ministry of John did not do that. They went out, they saw what John was doing, they observed it, they evaluated it, <laughs> but they did not receive John's baptism. They did not feel that they needed repentance. They said, hey, we're, we're the chief priests, we're the... We're the good guys, right? We're the religious ones. We're the spiritual ones. We don't need this, right? And they uh, did not accept John's teaching or his baptism, right? And, and so they, uh, and in that, they really are showing that they don't feel they need uh, God over their life, ultimately, right? And so, so, so notice what they, how they talk about it. They discussed this among themselves. They said, hmm, if we say from heaven, uh, Jesus will say to us, well, then why did you not believe him? Right? And, and the, the, the chief priests and, and elders don't say, well, and we should have, right? No, they're like, no, we didn't believe him. We did not receive John's message. We don't need it, right? But they recognize that if they, if they acknowledge that John was given authority from heaven, that they... It would be required that they respond to it, right? If it's coming from God, we should receive it. We should bow before uh, that message and respond in faith. And they did not. And in that, they proved their real heart, right? They proved that they're not really interested in knowing uh, where the authority comes from, if it's from heaven or from man. The question for them is not where it comes from, but their question, their real question is, who's threatening my authority? Right? Who's threatening uh, my rule over the people and over my position and ultimately over my own life? So they couldn't say that. They couldn't say it was from heaven. But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. We don't know. Um, they don't care where John's authority come from. It doesn't matter to them. Uh, interesting, what, what matters is what? The only thing that really mattered to them was what the crowd thought. And it's a great uh, uh, and interesting insight into man-made authority. You see, the, the, the chief priests, and actually the chief priests and elders had been given uh, authority from God. Uh, God is the one who appoints leaders and rulers, whether it's over the temple or the church or governments. God is sovereign. And God is the one from whom all, all leaders receive their authority. But the problem is when those leaders themselves reject God's rule over their life, when they don't acknowledge that their authority comes from God, they, they must generate their own power or own authority. Right? And, and when it's man-made, when I'm, when I'm creating my own authority, that authority actually is very fragile. Uh, and no matter how important you think you are or how powerful you think you are, ultimately, man-made authority is dependent on the sheep. Right? 
uh, it means that the, the followers follow us, right? Uh, and of course, uh, there are times and there are places when rulers have had enough brute force or military power that they can use that power to keep people uh, in line, right? That they can force people to follow them. And certainly that's what the Romans had done to the, to the Israelites. The Romans had huge armies and, and soldiers, and these guys were, were bad guys. And they knew how to use their fort, their power, uh, their weapons, to force people to, in a sense, follow. Uh, but they could, never, uh, they could never force people's hearts. So for the Israelites, uh, sure, outwardly they bowed to Rome. Outwardly they paid their taxes. Outwardly uh, they let their country be invaded and governed by Roman kings and Roman authorities. But in their hearts, they were as rebellious against Rome as possible. Right? They hated Rome. They hated Rome's rule over them. And they never willingly uh, bowed to it. And in fact, for hundreds of years, before Jesus and then for some time after Jesus, uh, the Israelite people uh, were in every way in rebellion against Rome. They were just waiting for the right moment when uh, Rome would let its guard down so they could rebel, right? so they could reject that authority. And that, that just highlights the, the fragileness of human authority. Either you control by huge brute force, but the minute you let your guard down, it's over, right? They will rebel against you. Or, as these leaders knew, they didn't have brute force, they didn't have an army, uh, they depended on people liking them, right? It's as if, if they were afraid of the people because their authority depended on the people giving it to them. And so they, uh, they cater to the people because that's the root of their authority. If they're going to be in charge, it's not because God gave them authority in their thinking. It's because the people will like us and will do what we say. And so they don't want to offend, right? They want to do... Uh, they become people pleasers. Right? So they can't stand up and say the truth. We don't believe John was from God because they don't want to offend the people and they're afraid of the people. Right? So, so Jesus gets the answer. He wants to say, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, fine. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Sorry. Right? And Jesus here is not trying to, um, he's not trying to evade their, their question. In fact, in his very question, he's actually pointed to the answer, hasn't he? Jesus already said, look, John's authority either came from man or from God. And if it came from God, you have a duty and an obligation uh, to, to bow before his teaching, to submit your life to the teachings of John. Right? And the fact that you haven't is proof that you really, uh, you're really not interested in, in where the authority comes from. You're only interested in how to get rid of any authority that's a threat to you. Right? So Jesus really did answer their question by his own question. But he did it in such a way that they couldn't actually accuse Jesus of anything. Right? They had to just keep their mouth shut. And they knew that, uh, that Jesus was here really claiming, look, John's ministry was from God, and John was my forerunner. John pointed to me. And so if John's authority came from heaven, so does mine. Right? I am simply the ongoing continuation and, and the increase of, John, of what John started. Okay? Um, so, so, uh, so it's clear here 
by Jesus' question and by their debate that these guys, even though they're leaders of the temple, leaders of the religious order in in Israel, uh, looked at by all the people as very spiritual, godly people, that these were a group of, uh, of leaders who had set their hearts completely against God. But, but, but here's the thing. They could not see it. Right? They were blind to their own rebellion. Uh, and they thought they were really protecting the temple. Right? In their own minds, they had convinced themselves that they were really doing the right thing. And that, uh, that Jesus was somehow a threat to the institution of the temple. Uh, so how could, they, how could they so blatantly defile the rule of God over their life and yet be so blind to it? But how is that possible? And it's an important question because um, these are not, as we will see, these are not the tax collectors and the prostitutes. These are not the bad people. These are the good people. Now, if you were to put yourself in a group, would you put yourself in the group with the prostitutes or the priests? Okay. Are you the bad people or are you the good kind of people? Right? Well, probably most of us would, would say, well, we're, we're the good people, right? right? If you're not the good people, we need to talk after church, right? <laughs> you need some confessing to do, right? But here's the thing. It's super dangerous because good people can be very self-deceived, right? as we will see, as is true for these guys. And so the, the next parable, Jesus then follows up with this parable, and he tells this parable as a way to show them their own self-deception, right? As, as a parable to illustrate to them uh, their real heart. So he tells this parable. Um, he says, we don't know, we don't know. Jesus says, I don't, I'm not going to tell you these things, but what do you think? Let us think about this. A man had two sons, and he went to his first son and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. (laughs) No. But later, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and he said the same thing. And he said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm a good son. I'm going into that vineyard. I'm going to go work for you, Lord, or Father. Absolutely. But he doesn't go. Right? And so Jesus asked the question, which of the two did the will of his father? And that's the real question, right? The real question is not who agrees to go. It's not what they say. The real question is who did the father's will, right? That's the real point. The one who, who's under the father's authority, the, one, the son who's really under the father's rule is not the one who says the right answer, but the one who actually does what the father asked, right? That's the test of who's in charge of their life. Um, and of course, the, the, the leaders are forced to say, well, the second son. I'm sorry, not the second, the first son. Um, they said the first, right? The one who initially said no, but in the end, he what? He changed his mind. The son changed his mind. He, re- he as it were, repented. He changed the direction he was going and he, in the end, submitted to his father's authority and did what his father asked. Going back to the real problem of all humanity, you know, we want to be in charge of our own life. 
uh, we are not willing to recognize the rule of God over our life. That's the core of our human nature. And it's a problem for every single human being. But what Jesus is saying here is that it's even more of a problem for good people, for religious people, for spiritual people. And here's the thing. Uh, blatant sinners outwardly rebel against God. Right? And, and Jesus goes on. He says, um, he says, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. That's who's represented in that first group, tax collectors and prostitutes, bad people. We might call it drug dealers and murderers, right? Uh, although tax collectors have got to be right up, right up there too as evil people, right? Hate those tax collectors. Um, um, and, and the thing is, uh, those people know they're rebels because they're, they're, they're upfront about it, Right? They, they hear God's call on their life. They hear God saying, I want to be in charge of your life. And they say, no, I'm not let God be in charge of my life. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do my own thing. In fact, I'm going to do, not am I going to do my own thing, but I'm going to do the very opposite of what God wants. If God wants me to be a good person, I'm going to be a bad person. I'm going to prove to God right in his face, I'm a rebel. Right? I'm going to be very open about my rejection of God. But, but the chief priests are really like the second son, aren't they? They are the people who say, yes, sir. God calls them, God commands them, and they say in their heart and in their mind, yes, I will do what you say. I want to follow you. In fact, the words here, uh, it's really not yes or no. Uh, in the Greek, it's actually, it's actually I, the first uh, son actually says, I don't want to. I'm not willing to, to go. But the second son says, yes, sir, I am willing. I, I, in my heart, I want to obey the Father. I want to go into that vineyard. Uh, and it's possible that maybe they really had no intention. They were just giving lip service. They were just saying the words. But I don't think that's actually true. I think this son, um, he did want to go into the vineyard, right? It was his intention to go. He said yes because he wanted to be a good son. He wanted to do the right thing. But, you know, things come up. Um, he was on his way to the field. He sets out from the house. He's going to the vineyard. And on the way, he meets up a friend who wants to talk. And so they sit down under a tree and they chat for a while. And then he remembers a very important errand he needs to run. So he just take a minute and he goes and he runs that errand. And then he remembers he hasn't checked his phone lately. He gets on, does some Facebook, you know and check some emails and Twitter, and poof, before you know it, the sun's going down. Wow, where did the day go? That's well, okay, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, right? Because I want to go in that, boy, that, that, that vineyard's waiting, and my dad told me, man, I want to go into that vineyard. Yes, sirree, Bob. I'm committed, right? It's my intention. Uh, but the next morning, oh, he forgot to set his alarm, and he oversleeps. And he gets up and he goes in the refrigerator and there's nothing for breakfast. So he has to go to the market and buy food. And after at the market, he runs into another friend who's moving sheep that day. And he says, hey, can you help me move sheep? And he's helping his friend. Pretty soon, poof, another day is gone. And then another day is gone. And another day is gone. And another day is gone. And then pretty soon, the harvest is over. And he never once went into the vineyard. But he wanted to, 
right? It was his intention to. He meant to. But he never did, right? And see, that's the problem. They think that that intending to go is the same thing as doing the Father's will. Well, of course, you know, I, I, I meant to. I'm planning on it. And somehow that's the same thing as obedience. Um, and of course, uh, to make matters worse, there are also people who like keeping rules. And the chief priests and the elders were very good at keeping rules. And they think that keeping rules is the same as making God ruler. But keeping rules is not the same as, as making God the ruler. And, and no matter how much they kept and, and went to great efforts, and they did, especially the Pharisees, went to great lengths and took great efforts to keep the rules. Uh, the problem is that it is actually impossible to really keep all God's commands in our own strength. And the reason is because God's commands are more than just rules. And earlier in Matthew, uh, Jesus had some amazing teaching about really keeping the commands. And the problem is keeping the commands is not just not lying or not stealing. It's actually loving people. And you know, keeping rules is easy. Actually, loving people is pretty hard. Um, And and, and it it actually requires a, a, a transformed life. It requires God's power to actually love people. Like, it's so much easier just to keep a rule. It's really hard to actually care for people and actually help them. And these people, these leaders, did not love people. They did not love God, right? But they thought because they were keeping the rules, it was all good. And so they had deceived themselves by means of their own good intentions and their own legalism, their own man-made righteousness. Because they said yes, and because they were diligent to keep the rules, they were convinced that they were under God's rule. And they were blind to the fact that their own hearts were actually quite in rebellion to God. And Jesus brought out the worst of it. Because here's one sent from God who's coming in the authority of God, who's demanding that they allow him to be in charge over their life. And when they're confronted with that, everything in them goes into rebellion mode. And they want to kill him. That would kind of be the opposite of making Jesus ruler. (laughs) It's hard to be under the authority of somebody you want to kill. It's kind of the opposite. Um, So they did not repent. And of course, the, the sinners saw their rebellion. And so for them, repentance made sense. But these leaders thought because they were facing in the right direction, because they were pointed towards the vineyard, that they didn't need repentance. Right? And, and I love that, that the key phrase in here, Jesus talks about a couple of times, is this idea of changing your mind. Right? The first son said, I will not, but afterward he changed his mind. And he changed his thinking. Oh no, I, I, I'm headed the wrong direction. And so Jesus says to them, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and when you saw it, you did not what? You did not afterwards change your minds. You didn't acknowledge that you were headed in the wrong direction and and believe John and follow his teaching. Um. You see, it's easy for those who recognize they're sinners, who know their rebellion, who know they're headed in the wrong direction, 
to see their need for Christ and to change their heart and mind and to turn toward him. It is so much harder for good people. It is so much harder for people who think they're doing the right thing. Um, but like it says in, in, in Romans, right? The state of every human heart is this. Our mind on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, and it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot ever please God as long as they're in the flesh. Um, So Jesus gives this parable in hopes that they would see their blindness. Uh, Apparently they didn't because it only gets worse. (laughs) It only gets worse. They refuse to acknowledge Jesus' authority over their life. So let's just close with a couple reflective questions for us to ponder. Uh, Who is in charge of your life? Uh, Now be careful. Uh, Don't be like the the, the religious leaders who say, well, I said yes to Jesus, therefore he must be in charge of my life. Don't make the same mistake they did and said, well, I intend to follow Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, therefore he must be in control of my life. Um, we need to put it to a more serious test. Saying yes is not enough. And I'm sure if I were to ask this, if we were all to ask, have you said yes to Jesus? We'd say, yeah, I've said yes to Jesus. I said, yes, sir. I want to follow you. But that's not really the test, is it? I think there's two critical tests we need to, we need to put against our lives to see if we really are, are living under Jesus' authority and control or if we're just fooling ourselves, if we're just pretending. And the first test is this. It is the test of repentance. Right? Do we know clearly of time and times in our life when we have repented? And repentance is simply this. It, it requires, first of all, seeing that we are living in rebellion against God, no matter how good our behavior is. That in the depths of our heart, Uh, there is a part of us that does not want to let God be in charge. There's a part of us that bristles at the command and leading of God that is set against him. That's that's our flesh. And that that flesh is, uh, is, is not and cannot submit to God's rule over us. Right? And seeing that, and seeing not only that, that, that we have that, but that we're hopeless to do anything about it. That we are hopeless to change on our own. That it's not a matter of just trying harder, you know, tomorrow I'm just going to be that much more intentional about getting to that vineyard. And we have to realize, no, it's hopeless. If it's up to me in my own power, I will never get there. No matter how many times I say yes, or no, how, no matter how in, determined I am. Because the problem is my heart which is in rebellion against God. And so repentance is, is, it, is admitting those two things, my sin, my rebellion, and my hopelessness, and by God's grace through faith, turning away from sin and turning away from control over my own life and, and really turning to God uh, and accepting his help, his power, to overcome sin through Christ and through the cross. And to, by faith, allow him to really be in charge of my life. Right? 
do you know that's true in your life? I mean, can you mark a time when you have had that kind of dramatic repentance? Not just saying yes to God, but really turning away and acknowledging your own, your own rebellion and turning away from it, and by God's help, really coming under his authority. Right? Really letting him save you. Really letting the power of the cross break the power of sin over your life. Right? By faith. Right? It, is, it is something we do by faith, not by our effort. Second test. Uh, are we really walking the obedience of faith? Right? Remember what it means to have God ruling over our life is not that we said yes to God's will, but, but, but that we are what? We are doing his will. Right? We are doing his will. Um, this means a daily commitment to really doing the will of God. But here's, the, here's the, the problem. Again, it's not that we do it by our own determination or effort or will. right? It means we realize that we want to do the Father's will, but we can only do it by the power and help of the Holy Spirit. And we appropriate his power by faith, by just believing that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to break the power of sin over my life and to bring the Holy Spirit's presence into me so that I can now walk in obedience, not because I'm good, but because God is changing my life. He's transforming me. He's giving me a new spirit and a new nature, and I walk now in that nature instead of in the flesh. I live by the Spirit instead of living by the flesh. As Paul says in Romans, I set my mind on the things of the Spirit instead of the things on the flesh. Right? Uh, and it's a matter, again, of faith. Right? I am walking in obedience, not by my own doing, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who is changing me into a very different kind of person where God really is ruling in my life. And I see the fruit of it because uh, I am doing God's will. I'm making it to the vineyard. I'm, I'm, I'm bearing fruit for his kingdom. I'm being transformed by his power in my life. Um, be on guard of the, uh, the deception of our own thinking that saying yes is the same as actually being transformed. Right? Um, of thinking we can do this uh, in our own strength apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we need to submit to God's rule. And here's, here's the thing. Jesus says, uh, the prostitutes and the, and the tax collectors will make it into the kingdom. Amazing truth here. God's kingdom is available. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned, uh, how bad your life has been, how rebellious you have been against God. God can save us. God wants to bring us into his kingdom. But it won't happen unless we repent and follow him. And then the scary thing for these, uh, these religious leaders is that they were going to miss out on the very kingdom of God. They were going to miss out on, 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 on their very, the salvation of their souls. right? Because they had so deceived themselves that they were already in that they were already part of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your eternal word that speaks such truth that no matter what age we're in, 
that your word is truth. That when you created man in your image and then man fell, that 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 same man is us today who falls so easily. Father, we pray that you would bring this message, uh, your word, especially to our mind for the remainder of the week. Let it fill us. Help us in each moment, in our, in our innermost thoughts, to ask you to be our authority, to be willing to submit and to repent, to turn from our ways and go your way. Father, give us faith to believe that your way is right when, when the world's messages come, when advertising and the people around us may uh, be speaking in one direction. Help us to hear your voice. And to follow you. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for friendships. Thank you for people that we can walk alongside. Father, we want to confess as a church that we underestimate the power of self-deception. Father, that we need each other. That we need brothers and sisters and wives and husbands and even children. Our own children sometimes to remind us who you are, to break the power of self-deception. Father, make us faithful to one another. Uh, Make us um, faithful as a body of Christ to challenge and encourage and love each other towards the truth. Father, make us be like that second son who went. Father, make us to be uh, obedient to you. Father, help us to not look at you know, the mountain or the mess that we've made, but rather to look at the hope that you give to us and you bring to us through your word. Father, we pray and confess our pride that we so often want to be in control. We want to have the steering wheel in our hands. Father, forgive us. We want to live in the power of your Holy Spirit this week in our marriages and in our workplaces and whether we're on the computer or out with people um, working or planting churches or ministering to orphans, whatever it is, Father, we pray you would, you would help us to submit to your authority minute by minute to hear your voice, to walk with you. We look forward as a church to meeting week by week and encouraging each other as we grow in these things. Father, we pray as the worship team comes back up that you would solidify these things in our hearts as we pray these songs to you, as we acknowledge your power and authority. We acknowledge our weakness in the middle of that. Thank you, Father, for all your good promises that you make to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.